I'm David Colthard, aging ex-Grand Prix driver, and welcome to Formula for Success. I'm going to be joined each week by Eddie Jordan, and we're going to be delving deep into the world of Formula One and beyond. Eddie and I, what could possibly go wrong? Our aim each week is to tell you what we know in the world of sport, life, entertainment, and business. And you don't have to be a Formula One fan to enjoy this. We might even open up Eddie's little black book to call in some very special guests. But to start with, EJ, how's your winter been? Well, it's been up and down, really. But uh, overall, at the end of the day, uh, it's been fantastic. I did have a little issue at the beginning of the, the winter time. Uh, I had a malignant melanoma which had to get cut out, and that did take me by surprise, I must admit. And this is a little message for all our listeners out there, and that is, please, before we start talking about Formula One and all the usual rubbish that you and I talk about, David, please, guys out there, be mindful of your body. It's important that you put the effort back into it. Now, having said that, we can get back into the Formula One thing. Wise words from Mr. Jordan. So, look, Formula One 2023, it's the second season of uh, this uh, new world of Formula One. A lot of uh, downforce being developed from underneath the car. We've had three days of winter testing, EJ. You've been following it from afar. What's your gut feeling? What's, what's your EJ radar telling you about what the season might unfold? Well, I think we're very similar to, to last year, where... Obviously, Red Bull are in a very strong position. There's absolutely no doubt. And I think that, surprisingly enough, I think Ferrari, who haven't been spoken about uh, recently, I think they've made a move. I think they really have. I think Fred coming in there, and I think Ferrari will be better this year, whether they're good enough to topple the likes of Mercedes or indeed particularly Red Bull, because I think it's a, it's a clear year for Red Bull. There are other good signs of, of, of little things spurting up, and I think... Uh, Aston Martin looked strong. They looked the strongest of the next bunch of people. Um, however, I, I, I fear for the, the likes of Williams. I fear for other teams who don't seem to have, if you like, not just based on what we saw in the testing at Bahrain, but just, the, you know, the, the body language, the demeanor, the, how they're going about their racing and the drivers and the, the setup that they've got. I think it's back to where we were. And the big problem I see is with Mercedes. What on earth have they done to screw it up two years in a row? And I will be surprised if they get it right in the first couple of races. Well, that remains to be seen. And, uh, you know, we're in countdown to the first Grand Prix. So we'll see where they actually deliver it on on-track performance. But you, you mentioned Aston Martin there. Uh, they do seem to have had a bit of a stronger winter testing. And I assume you've got a bit of a soft spot for the team, given that uh, they are based on the very site of Jordan Grand Prix. I don't deny it. I have a soft spot for any team that has emerged out of the Jordan uh, ashes. Of course, Midland, and then it was Force India, and in particular now Aston Martin. I think Lance Stroll has deep pockets, and he doesn't mind spending it, and he doesn't mind chasing for perfection. And that's what appears to have happened. And if I was to make a forecast, I would say, guys, remember where you heard it first, because I do believe that Alonso will win races this year. I really do, because I think the car is wow. strong. And I'm not sure. Yes, he's in his 40s. But, you know, David, you and I know what Alonso is capable of doing. The guy is a class act. And you don't just lose that. It's like riding a bicycle. You just ride it quicker and better and stronger as you go through life. And I think that Alonso is the man that could be a big surprise. And he could finish in the top five of the World Drivers' Championships. Yeah, well, that is a big statement. Uh, I think he would be a very welcome return to the top of the podium if Alonso is able to get a win for Aston. They do seem to be uh, showing good winter form. So let's let's just dial down onto the, the team that we're 
the dominant uh, leaders in this uh, hybrid era, Mercedes. We're now in a situation, EJ, you've got 23 Grand Prix. You know, when you were running a race team and when I first started, there was about 15 or 16 Grand Prix. 23 Grand Prix across the year, only three days of testing. Is that, is that really right? Is that enough? Is that why maybe some of the teams like Mercedes don't seem to have really found their form in such a short space of time? So many rules have changed, and I, I'm confused by it. You know, the numbers of engines, I think that's a positive thing. The way we were swapping engines out in our day, David, was ridiculous. Having said that, to have a test team and then to have a race team, I mean, if you're talking about a cost cap, which is something we'll probably get onto, but if you're talking about cost capping, there's no way that you could have a test team. However, with 23 races, you're going to have, you know, a different set of teams. There's, there's going to have to be teams that will do... 12 races and another team that will do 13 races because it's not possible to keep and it's not fair on families, on futures, our environment, mentally, physically. It's not possible to have teams running around the world for 23 Grand Prix. Just not possible. So I'm absolutely against that. You must have to have a rotation system. And I think that's equally as important as the cost cap because you will burn people out. I can't understand how the FIA haven't tackled that. So that's a big issue as far as I'm concerned. If you're a young family man and you've got two kids at home and they're at school and various holidays and various things, I promise you there's not a chance that you're ever going to see them. Never mind the wife and the, your loved ones and stuff like that. I mean, we have to think about a family environment too. Yes, it is a sport. But the sport has to stop somewhere and family has to have a, a piece of that pie. And uh, under the current situation, I don't see that. OK, well, you mentioned it's a sport, not to go off track, but maybe slightly left field. There's been you know, rumblings about whether drivers uh, should be allowed to raise concerns outside of the, the sport of Formula One and, and raise issues that are important to them. And Lewis Hamilton has been very vocal, saying that nothing's going to stop him talking about issues that affects his life and, and his, uh, you know, uh, I think it's Mission 44 is the, um, the setup that he's, he's put in place to try and empower underprivileged kids. Where do you sit on this? Do you think that uh, everyone that's got a, a public voice should be you know, using the platform of Formula One or do you think they should just be concentrating on the sport? I believe in free speech, absolutely. I believe in free press, which no matter what way you look at it at the moment and uh, with the social media and stuff like that, I have some grave concerns, which is maybe not for this program. But uh, I, I think we're being indoctrinated into something. And I think that Lewis has spoken out. He does not want to be in that camp. He wants to be able to make his own choices. He wants to be able to say what he wants to say. It's up to people to listen to him or to print it if that's what they want to do. However, Lewis has, if you like, he has put himself in that position. Seven times world champion. He's adored the world over. He, in my opinion, has made it possible that Formula One has become along with Drive to Survive. But he has been a big factor in, in the huge advancement of our sport in terms of the American side of things. So why shouldn't we listen to him? We can discard anybody's viewpoint uh, because that's their view. We take our view. But to actually stop him doing it, I, I, I think that's a form of dictatorship. And I abhor that sort of thing. Uh, and I think if Lewis... Uh, wants to say something, and if journalists think it's good enough to, to print, then so be it. He's entitled to his opinion, for sure. Sure. Well, look, I, I definitely agree with you that uh, free speech, people should be entitled to their opinion. But I guess I sit a little bit on the point of view, if I want to see politics, I'll watch Prime Minister's Question Time. If I 
turn up to watch a Grand Prix. I want to see Grand Prix racers. Uh, you know, I don't really want uh, to hear, you know, if, does it, should it stop with the drivers? Should the team principals be making political statements? You know, should Stefano Domenicali be saying, well, let me just take a moment out from being the CEO of Formula One to give you a view of some things that are important to me. So I think that we do have to be a little bit careful we don't drift too far away from the entertainment that is Formula One. All right, Eddie. Well, this is our first attempt at this podcasting game and the producers reckon that we've got some famous friends and they thought that we could reach out to them. Well, I looked through my most recent texts and, uh, well, my most famous buddy of late has been Rylan. Uh, well, well known in the UK, but doesn't really hit it on the international scale. Um, you, you can top that, I guess? Well, you know, as we go through life, there's always people who crop up and that their knowledge of Formula One or, or their involvement, their friendship, belies the position that they're in. You say, my God, I didn't realise he knew so much about that. Or, and this is going back, I think you were with me uh, when we did the race in, in uh, Montreal all those many years ago. The guys from the X-Men were there, James McAvoy, Al Pacino, uh, and in particular, Michael Fassbender. And Michael, with such a strong German name, was actually brought up and educated in Kerry in Ireland. And uh, he's a, a fluent Irish speaker. And I remember going on the pit walk and um, I started to speak Osquelga. In other words, I was speaking Irish to Michael as I normally would have done. And I remember <laughs> Mark Wilkin from BBC. He went absolutely ballistic about what was I doing speaking a, a foreign language on the great BBC. And I, I said, oh, I'll get stuffed or whatever I said to him, I forget. But anyway, I enjoyed it. Fassbender tells this story to everybody because it was so, it was kind of unique that someone should just broach an Irish language story. And as a result, I keep in touch with him all the time. He needs to know who's doing what, who's what. You can't imagine how involved he is in Formula One. So I've texted him. He's probably LA time, so I'm not sure he's up yet. But uh, I'm hoping by the end of the show, we'll have him online to find out what his thoughts are the new season coming through. Let's see what your man has to say later on the show. Right, let's move it along. We're not far from the first race here in Bahrain. Um, if we think back to your time managing a team, give me, give me some views on, there's been some team principal changes. We've got Fred Vasseur coming in at Ferrari. Uh, are you happy with that? Would, would you have put him in place there? Or is there anyone else of the team principals that you'd be like, I'd get them out of there as quickly as possible? Well, you know, it has changed so much. You know, in my day, there was the Ken Tyrrells, there was the Ron Dennis's, there was the Patrick Heads, uh, and of course, there was Frank Williams as well, you know, because you drove there. There was Arrows with Walkinshaw and, and, of course, Enzo at Ferrari. So if you like, the team principal historically was the team owner or the person who was taking the risk. That's not the case anymore. You have chief executives and team principals, so it's not fair to necessarily compare the two. However, it did seem that the show that we were offered, and you know, I'm concerned, I see a number of the teams, the CEOs in particular, complaining that they only want 10 teams. Uh, I totally disagree with that. How are you ever going to get somebody the likes of Sauber or how are you going to get the likes of Jordan or any team like that who are coming up against the likes of Ferrari, Mercedes, Honda or Toyota or Audi that are coming and all of these people? Because it's too hard to compete against the might and the financial might of, of these kind of uh, individuals. And I think it takes a bit of the love factor. Somebody likes to see 
a small team coming in and taking you to the big guys. Now, I'm not just saying that because that's the way it happened for me, but I was very, very lucky. But to survivors was fairly severe. I remember Bernie always saying to me, he said, first you have to survive. And I often say then afterwards, I said, the biggest benefit that I ever saw in Formula One was not race wins or doing this or doing that. It was always, I survived Formula One and I, I walked away from it. Yes, I made some money out of it. I was lucky, but I gave it, in my opinion, in decent hands. And, and, and the signs are that, you know, Aston Martin is there taking up the ashes, and I'm hoping that there's going to be a massive season for them. So that's what needs to happen. Young blood needs to come into the formula, and I'm really, really uptight about the team principals voting to not let that happen. Well, I guess what they're doing is uh, protecting the fact that you know if there's 10 teams, then there's 10 teams sharing on the divided money that comes from the commercial rights holder amongst those that's teams. That's fundamentally that... wrong, David. That's fundamentally wrong. Where is, you know, the competition is competition. You should have the right, if you so wish to run David Coulthard Racing in Formula 3, 3,000, go all the way up the rung and then not be able to go any further because there's six mighty guys sitting on stools in, in paddock protecting their own positions. That's wrong. Yeah, well, it looks like the team most likely to come in is uh, Michael Andretti. And I think yes. uh, I'm an American Formula One team, in addition to Haas, would certainly be a welcome thing. Could, uh, I think the figures coming out of uh, Formula One, uh, most recent stats, there's been a 35% growth in fan base in America. And that's you know the size of Europe. So it's a hugely important market. Uh, but David, I think we also have to be mindful that it was a struggle for us to go to a race in Indianapolis, but that's been taken over by Austin, now with Las Vegas and Miami, three races in America. You know, talk about going to New York, absolutely fantastic, it'll be brilliant. Before races in America, be very careful. Liberty is very American-based. Of course, everything involved in a race is to drive to survive, and with American teams coming in here, I would be surprised if Liberty would stop Andretti coming into Formula One. They will find a way to including them. I just happen to believe that's the way it will work. Uh, but the protection of the other 10 will be obviously respected, I presume. Why, I don't know, but it will be. And, and it'll be a money thing. You know and I know money talks in Formula One. It always has and always will do. Yeah, well, going back to when you entered Formula One, uh, I remember you, you called it the Piranha Club. Uh, so the fact that you survived the Piranha Club uh, is all credit to your ability to duck and dive. Um, I bumped into a guy, I was in Dublin recently doing a show run for Red Bull. And uh, I bumped into a guy in a bar there that tells me that you rented a room from him way back in the days before you came over to live in the UK, and you never you never paid your bill. And they've they've got a, he owns a pub downstairs, and he's got he's got the the money owed bill uh, on on a board behind the bar. So I think you you might be, need to be careful next time you go home. I don't need to be careful, David. There's other people far, far closer to that list of danger. But the classic one, when you talk about other sports, when Jack Charlton was an absolute living legend because of what he did with Irish soccer, he used, every pub he went into, he always used to write a check for the bill, knowing full well that everyone would put the check on the wall of the pub and not cash it. I mean, it was classic. I'm going to start doing the same, believe me. Well, I, thankfully, I never actually ever had a contract with you. I do remember when I was in Formula 3, your man, Fred Rogers, who I think was your lawyer, 
approaching me and then uh, us having a conversation about uh, me joining your your young driver program of Formula 3, Formula 3000, and then your, your vision to go to Formula 1. But I, if I remember correctly, I had to pay you vast amounts of money uh, in, in Formula 3 and Formula 3000. And then there was the carrot of you paying me that and more if I was a Formula 1 driver. I guess you had no intention of ever me becoming a Formula 1 driver, but in the meantime, you'd have taken all my cash. Davis, you missed your great opportunity. Two things would have unfolded. You would never be as rich as you currently are. And two, you'd probably be sitting there as a world champion because I have the ability to drag real talent out of somebody in the middle of the mainstream like you, who is, uh, in my opinion, you were a top driver, but you are mediocre. I could have made you a world champion. <laughs> Only you could give a compliment and insult in the same breath. But anyway, right. It's easy. <laughs> it is. It is easy for you. That's for sure. Right. We're now moving on. The producer have this idea that a little segment we're going to call Eddie's Corner and this is a moment for you to just go for it whatever is on your chest right now it doesn't have to be Formula One it can be the state of the world it can be you know I don't know you've been spending a lot of your winter down in South Africa it could be what's happening down there so EJ what is your words of wisdom right now well, I don't know what much time we've got here, but there's a couple of things. Funny you should say that there was a Formula E race here last weekend, first ever timing in, in Cape Town. It was a massive success. And I think in time, Liberty, when with 23 races on the race card, to fully call it a world championship, they have to think about having a race somewhere in Southern Africa. And um, they were here. They had a look. I think they went away scratching their heads because they said, mm, we have to now look at Cape Town because don't be too surprised. I would say within the next three, four years, they're going to have to look at having a Grand Prix here. That's the first thing. The second little thing as we go into the race and you're in Bahrain, it's a lovely little story that I just should remind you that uh, my little band, we were playing in Carpaccio's um, all those years ago, 20, whew, 2002, 21 years ago. And um, the owner said to me, look, Eddie, there's a guy at the bottom of the restaurant here. He would like to have a word with you when you're finished. And true enough, I'd forgotten about it, but he came up and he talked to me and he said, look, I'd like to rent a show car from you. And I said, hmm, okay. And he told me his name was Salman and that he was from the Middle East. And I said, fine, but that's all he said. I had no idea who he was. So I gave him a number of a guy in Jordan to ring and they gave him a car. And we didn't ask for any money and he didn't offer any money. Uh, I think he might have offered money, but he, we certainly didn't ask for any money. And two weeks later, I looked at the Autosport, as we all did in those days, and I see this car on the top of a sand dune. I had no idea. And it was a Jordan car on the top of a sand dune. And uh, the caption underneath it says, here is a Jordan car on the sand dune in Bahrain. It will be racing here in two years' time. And um, what I'm absolutely loving about this story Crown Prince Salman has turned out to be one of the greatest and the best finds that anyone has found in Formula One because he's an absolute treasure to the sponsorship, treasure to the championship, a brilliant promoter and a top, top guy. And uh, I'm so glad that I was party to that. Of course, he invited the band to the rugby club in Bahrain and, and to the various different clubs there. And we've remained great friends. He's a complete muso, which obviously helps my affection for him. Uh, but the fact that I was involved in those early days of Bahrain and there you are next year, um, it will be the 20th year, 2004, I do believe. Um, so it's a special year, and I'm going to try and make sure that I uh, speak to Salman about coming out to the race next year. 
Yeah, I totally concur. I think that uh, Bahrain have done a fantastic job of of growing Formula One in the Middle East. Obviously, now we have Qatar and Saudi Arabia. A little bit more controversy maybe uh, around those Grand Prix, but my personal view is that we affect change by going there and by taking our our way of living and thinking and work ethic to the countries rather than boycotting. I don't know if you have a view on that. That's taking it slightly political. Well, I love the fact that people have choices and it's so important that we do have choices. Some people think we were going to be uh, corralled into a a set uh, fashion where we will answer as a voice. I think as long as we're able to, it goes back to the Lewis Hamilton thing. If Lewis Hamilton wants to say something and people want to print it or to talk about it, then that's their prerogative. You don't have to listen to it. And as you rightly said, but those two other races alongside Bahrain, they would not have happened had it not been for Salman. I think he's so respected there. He's such a cool head. I think that um, he, he's well known. He, he studied and went to military college in the UK. He understands the way of the world very well. And I think he's a very, very solid member of, of the Formula One fraternity. And uh, I wish there were a whole lot more like him. Yeah, well, it's a great place to start the season. Historically, of course, it used to be Australia, but I think all the teams, this works, doesn't it? Coming here for a few days of testing, staying here to prepare the cars for the race, it uh, it makes so much sense rather than shipping the cars uh, a much further distance to get the season underway. So, EJ, a few sort of rapid-fire thoughts from you here. Um, who's going to be the world champion this year? Uh, beyond any doubt, I think Max, number three, it's so easy for him now. He's got that swagger. He's got that extra little bit tucked away, which um, will be impossible. Uh, you know, I'd like to see Lewis have a crack at it. I'm a big fan, uh, seven times world champion, but I just fear that the Mercedes car is going to let him down again. And I think that Toto needs to address what he's doing and where he's going and what's his future because uh, Mercedes are not in a position where they should be. Uh, Bahrain was an indication of that. And I think it's going to be, you know, going off with the loophole in the regulations about the, the skinnier side pods and now having to think about changing that. That's going to be race three before that happens. I mean, the championship could be well and well near nigh over by then if Max has such a stranglehold on it. We know that's not going to happen. But at the end of the day, it's so important to start quickly and to start well. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Toto there. He he did a good job last year of of, let's say, fronting up to their failings and saying, you know, this is all part of the process and we'll be stronger out of the back of it. But it does look like they're certainly in testing that they have some issues there. How do you think he'll he'll measure up if they do have a difficult car again this year? And it's a big if, you know, they're a great team of people there. How do you think Toto will measure up? Because, of course, everybody loves winning and everybody loves you when you're winning. Toto has a, a strong position. Of course, he has... Uh, a significant shareholding within the team. So that has a value and he'll want to protect that. So therefore, he will absolutely, quite apart from just the the natural joy and pleasure of having a winning involvement and a winning team, uh, he'll want to do that. But at the end of the day, they've been in there for a long time. And I remember going to Toto, I think with you as well in the paddock and saying, how long uh, is this going to happen? And we talked about other teams coming in, whether it be Porsche or this, that and the other. And now we know, and we for sure, it's confirmed with Audi and, and Sauber and stuff. Traditionally, German manufacturers don't compete against each other. 
They do in DTM, but not in the arena of Formula One, not traditionally. There was a time when BMW came in, but then they got out very quickly. So um, the reality is, do I see do I see Toto there in five years' time? Truthfully, DC, I don't, because he's a hugely ambitious man. What he'll do, I don't know. Just have I can second guess. I'm sure he would like the McAnally's job, and so we go from there. Do I see him doing something with the Saudis? Absolutely. I, I, I think Dubai or somebody like that, or particularly the Qataris, will come in and buy the Mercedes team. I do believe that Toto will go and join the Saudis and create uh, a team or buy the team from Liberty because John Malone must realise he invested a very significant amount of money, four and a half, five billion pounds, but he will actually, it'll be a multiple of at least twice that. So he'll get 15 to 24. So it's very good business for all of those guys. In my view, I see that's what Toto is going to do because he wants to be the, the ringmaster. He wants to be the Lord. He looked up to Bernie. This is the new Bernie. And that's what he's going to do. That's just me and my long-term prognosis into the future. It could be absolutely kibosh, but that's what I think. Toto is too big, too smart not to lose this opportunity. Right, Eddie. So we're getting towards the end of this uh, first ever Formula for Success. So I just want to get some very quick final predictions from you. You've already laid out that you think Red Bull are going to be the team to beat Max Verstappen. Uh, you think Mercedes a little bit on the back foot. I'd like to uh, get a bit more of your opinion on Ferrari. I I'm impressed with Fred Vasseur and he's worked with Charles Leclerc in the past. So He's got to be the right guy. He's a racer to help, you know, iron out the difficulties that Ferrari had last year. How long will it take him to, to iron those out, though, David? Uh, the problem I have, you know, running and seeing a team at first hand, Fred, beyond doubt, he will make a major input into that team. But there are some difficulties. He's got to sort out those lunatics of engineers that they've got on the pit lane. Those guys calling for a car or driver to come in without telling the guys in the pits to get the tires out. I mean, what kind of control is that? So there needs to be some very, very basic managerial controls put in place. And I am certain that Fred will do that. However, he doesn't speak Italian. And you know what it is like when you go to Maranello. Everyone stops for lunch. They have their pizza. They have their pastas. It's a religion down there. And I think they need to get some strict hard love in into that team before they really, really, really can come and compete against the likes of uh, Mercedes and Red Bull. So I don't really see it changing. However, I'm certain it'll get better and it will get continually get better. Um, but they might give Mercedes a good run for their money this year because I think Mercedes are in disarray. Last year... We gave Lewis the benefit of the doubt because of the kerfuffle that happened in Abu Dhabi and maybe it had affected his mind and he didn't start very well and it gave George Russell that great impetus to get up and fight with him for the championship and championship points. Incidentally, well done, George, because he surprised me. I have to say, I give him full credit. He was fantastic. Well, look, just segueing slightly away from Formula One, but you know, with very much the thought of you know, the, the winning formula or the business of winning, very often uh, companies will, will reach out to, to Formula One teams to get insight. You know, how is it that, you know, Formula One teams can operate at the level that they do? And one of the things that I noticed, and I don't know if it's been the same for you, Eddie, and uh, stepping away from Formula One and certainly, you know, from the coalface, you as a team principal and myself as a driver, is that 
a lot of companies, they, they just don't operate to deadlines. And sport operates to immovable deadlines. You know, all the cars will be on the grid on Sunday at the start of the race. They won't say, oh, we're delaying the launch of the car. The cars get built. And a lot of businesses, you know, people will say, well, we'll get back to you on a Friday. And they don't. They don't get back to you on a Monday. And I always wonder, what happened to Saturday and Sunday in their lives? You know, <laughs> if they couldn't deliver it on Friday, why do they not get it to you on Saturday? So do, do you find that as well in the, the investments that you do today that you have to bring that Formula One mindset of hit the deadlines, get everyone aligned, you know, get that winning uh, formula that's really, you know, the spirit amongst all the people that are working in the business. Cast your mind back. You are a product of your family, so to speak, and you, the way you were brought up, the way you went to school and the way you set out your life and the way your life was set out for you. Formula One is no different. Whereas we know before we put a pen to paper last August, for example, um, that somebody had to kickstart the, the design of next year's car. That is the year now, because we would have had to have been in Australia because traditionally that's where we all started, but now go to Bahrain. So there, there's no movement away from that. The plane takes off. Your car's better be on there because if it's not, you've lost your championship points for the past. You've lost your, because Bernie always paid a year behind. So you'd never got that money. So whatever happens, you're absolutely right. Deadlines are deadlines and weekend work. We used to have two shifts, three shifts. I remember we had three lots of eight to try and build up, particularly when there was a very big technical change with the cars and that you had to make sure that uh, the different situation. Now cars have evolved. Last year's cars, probably less of a, a drama this year because it, it would have been easy to move the car on. Having said that, I think the way you're brought up in Formula One, the discipline, the time frames, working to deadlines, sadly, more and more businesses and particularly government businesses. They don't operate. They close at four o'clock on a Friday. Some people don't work Friday afternoons. I mean, for heaven's sake, what is going on? And it's so irritating, particularly for somebody like you or me, who's worked in an environment where the clock is just something that sits on a wall, but no one ever looks at it. And if it's half two in the morning and you still have to get it done, you say to yourself, shit, we're going to likely to do an all-nighter again. And this is the third all-nighter in a row. But no one cares because everybody embraces everybody and they know that the ultimate goal is how good can that car be in Bahrain this Sunday? That's the question. Yeah, one of the things I really love about the, the business of Formula One is there's a ownership of, of issues. There's not a blame culture. There's a, a responsibility culture where if anyone makes a mistake, they put their hand up. And, you know, clearly as a driver, if you put the car on the wall, there's, there's no point trying to blame someone else. You have to own that. But that mentality, that, that sort of ownership of, of whatever it happens to be, it passes through the mechanics, the engineers. Uh, and I'm sure you've had guys that have worked for you in the past that they, they weren't quite as open and would try and pass the blame. And they don't, they don't last in Formula One in the long term, do they? No, and something along the same lines as Formula One, but a different business, is music. I mean, if the Rolling Stones are playing in Wembley on next Sunday, you know that they're going to be there, whether they've had four re rehearsals or no rehearsals, or whether they've dragged their asses off the floor or not dragged their asses off the floor. The fact is that they will be there because the management and the group of people behind it will make sure it's a similar thing in Formula One. I, I think I single out sport as being a pinnacle for people to look up to, to see how things can be achieved if they really are determined, committed and passionate about achieving the goals that they want to achieve. 
and that should apply in all business aspect and it should be a worldwide possibility for everyone to look at and I think that is why people are enjoying Formula One because they see how tough it is and how demanding it is but nevertheless how rewarding it can be if you get it right. All right, EJ, we're getting towards the end of this podcast, so uh, can I call on you to check whether your famous friend has uh, got back to your text? Well, I did recently have a quick look, and um, no reply as yet. Mind you, it is 5 a.m. in L.A., and knowing him, I'm sure he has uh, a lot more interesting things to contend with if he's not asleep, so uh, I'm not surprised. We leave him, and I'll get back to you about his reply next time we're on. Well, EJ, that's it for our first ever episode of Formula for Success. How do you think we did? Um, well, look, it's the first time. It's my first time ever doing a podcast. It's, I wouldn't I don't normally say this to you, DC, but I, I've enjoyed chatting to you because um, we've been mates for a very long time. And the fact that, that, that you're rich and healthy uh, is an indication of why you didn't sign for Jordan all those years ago, but you should have had. Uh, and you would be sitting there as a world champion, as we've already big-headedly agreed to. But um, look, you it's, important, it's important that all of the people uh, who have this newfound interest in Formula One can see two old hard jaws like us talking about things that they may not know anything about. And it brings back a little reality David, I've enjoyed it. I just hope the people out there enjoy it half as much as I've enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, we're on a bit of a winner. This could be a real, real good, fun thing to do. Well, I'll tell you one thing, though. I've lost a bet. You've actually kept it really clean. So well done, EJ. I've mellowed in time. Uh, <laughs> sure you really. have. Let's hope everyone out there watching that will make sure they come in on a regular basis and listen to DC and EJ spouting off a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they'll be back with us again next week. But until then, don't forget, you can send all your questions, thoughts, feelings and opinions. And, and be nice, please. We, we, we are sensitive souls. Uh, and uh, you can send that to ffs at whisper.tv. That is incredibly difficult for me to get my Scottish tongue round. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the action. And don't forget to tell your friends. FFS. See you next week.